Business and Buckets, episode 55, coming right at you. But before we talk sports, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements. If it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. There's 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for er, for 15% off all products. Promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, on FueledSupplements.com. Thank you, Fueled Supplements, Josh Morn and crew. We'll be heading to Vegas next month to get some interviews with them on the business episodes and keep the business episodes ramping up for you business fans. Anyways, let's just jump right into football. Um, some headlines around the league before we do- talk about last week's games, which there was some good ones. Newly acquired Whitney Merciless, linebacker for the Packers, filling in some much-needed depth. Out for the year already with torn biceps, so tough loss for the Packers as they're still awaiting the returns of Yair Alexander and uh, Zadaria Smith, some of their better, I mean, top defensive players in that defense. It's played pretty well, over overperformed. Uh, Derek Wolf out for the year for the Ravens, tough loss for their defense, and they also released Le'Veon Bell. You know, I'm assuming this is the end of his NFL run. And career, now that the Ravens have released them, as they have a bunch of used tires as running backs, Devonta Freeman um, pretty much leading the way. Then they have Latavius Murray coming back as well. So, contradicting reports here, but Cordell Patterson expected to miss some time, some time with an ankle sprain. The Swiss Army knife for Arthur Smith's team, and it seems like he did practice today on a limited basis, so he might play, uh, but something to keep an eye on. Aaron Jones and TJ Watt to miss some time. Uh, Aaron Jones with a sprained knee, MCL. TJ Watt with knee and hip injuries not expected to be serious. There is a potential for TJ Watt to come back for Sunday night football, which would be massive. And then also, pretty much news just a couple hours ago, Joey Bosa and Mika Fitzpatrick and COVID protocols. So guys that most likely won't be making it for the, for the Sunday night game. Chase Young tears his ACL and will be out for the year for the Washington football team. The young stud edge rusher, a huge loss for loss for that team. And Robert Woods tears, tears ACL and the uh, Rams sign Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ, which kind of makes sense. Um, that happened the day of, I'm assuming that they, they kind of knew what was going on and made that signing as he was um, preferring to go to the Packers, but they were only going to give him the league minimum. And then the return of Superman, Cam Newton back to the Panthers, $4.5 million guaranteed and up to $10 million in incentives, which just blows my mind. They are currently paying for Darnold. They're currently paying for Teddy Bridgewater. Now Cam Newton, none of these guys will probably be their guy next year, so they might have to start all over with a new quarterback 2022-2023 season. Julio Jones and Chase Edmonds on IR. Uh, For the Cardinals, going through lots of injury issues with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins still up in the air for this week. And Julio Jones seeming like a bust for the Titans as he can't get on the field unless he has a real good second-half run. 
Um, brutal move for them. Tom Brady coming out with an ESPN special. No surprise. Man in the arena about his 10 Super Bowl uh, experience of his 10 Super Bowl games. Uh, that's on ESPN+. Plus. I think they're doing weekly episodes. I'm going to have to check that out. And then Hard Knocks back in action tomorrow. Super pumped for that. In-season Hard Knocks, the Indianapolis Colts. I think there's enough headlines. A lot of fun players. Darius Leonard, Carson Wentz, T.Y. Hilton. Um, lots of guys on, on, on that squad worthy of watching. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what Hard Knocks can do on an in-season. You know, are they starting from last week? Are they starting from the beginning of the season? I was a big fan of the Amazon All or Nothing, which actually covered the Eagles when Carson Wentz was there. So I'm interested to see how they do it. It's HBO. It's Hard Knocks. You usually can't go wrong. So my picks last week, I went eight and six. Decent week. Um, couple surprising games for sure. On the season, I'm 93 and 59. I am taking the Steelers-Lions draw as a loss or tie. Um, I'm not considering that uh, a non-record. I'm going to just take that as an L. You can't predict a tie, but fuck the Steelers. They, they don't, they de I deserve an L for that. So let's talk week 10. Really, the week got started off. Uh, another crazy game after all the upsets last week. I would wonder, kind of curious to see if the NFL would get back into normal expectations of what you know what you would expect to happen. Well, the Ravens are traveling to Miami. Um, they had won an overtime game the week before, so they have a short week after a very tough win against the Vikings, and they head into Miami and lay an egg. You know, a lot of people, the, the, the Ravens are 6-3, and three, pretty decent record, still atop of the AFC North after the Steelers choked against the Lions. But a lot of people think pretty highly of the Ravens. I think not as highly. A lot of this has to do with the injuries as they are very injury-riddled. But the Dolphins come away with the victory, 22-10. They have a relief quarterback. Uh, Tua wasn't expected to play in the game. Jacoby Brissett hurts his knee, looks to be probably out for the year. So insert Tua, he goes 8-13, 158 yards. Uh, didn't end up throwing for a touchdown, but ran for a touchdown. Had 104 rating on the day, looking good. Um, I'm sure they're glad to have their quote-unquote franchise quarterback. We'll see how long that lasts. But I'm really interested to see how this Miami team finishes the year. Huge win here. Um, on the ground, there wasn't a lot of action. 60 yards as a unit. Miles Gaskin led the way with 14 carries for 31 yards, which is a 2.2 average. And the receiving court led by Albert Wilson, who had some sneaky catches, had a 64-yard reception, four catches for 87 yards. No one scored a touchdown through um, the air for Miami. For Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, Mr. Everything, 26 of 43, 238, a touchdown and a pick. He was sacked four times, and he ran the ball nine times for 39 yards to lead the way. Devonta Freeman did get 10 carries, but had 35 yards on the day. The young stud Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota leading the receiving core, six catches, 80 yards. Uh, Mark Andrews wasn't far behind, six catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. Seems like that Mark Andrews connection's coming back. Uh, Marquise Brown, only 6 of 37. He did have 13 targets. This was a sloppy game and overall. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Hollywood Brown could get back on tap in connection with Lamar Jackson because they're going to need something to change. That running game has been brutal outside of Lamar. He can't do everything offensively, and that defense has lost a lot of pieces. The offensive line is definitely a work in progress. You know, Sammy Watkins did lose a fumble for the Ravens. 
defensively. The Dolphins got to Lamar four times, but no one had multiple sacks. Justin Coleman, uh, the XC Hawk, did get an interception. For the Ravens defense, they sacked uh, Miami quarterbacks four times as well. No big uh, performances noteworthy. So statistically for this yucky Thursday night game, um, the Dolphins were 3 of 13 on third down. The Ravens 2 of 14. Both teams didn't go for it on fourth down. Total yardage, the Dolphins out-yarded the um, Ravens by 46. They won the turnover battle 2-0 to zero and were out-possessed by the Ravens by three minutes to, in this victory. What a crazy game. Thursday night games are always a mess. The home team is typically in favor. So heading into Sunday morning, this is huge for my fantasy season as I have Dak Prescott. The Cowboys, after laying an egg, host the Atlanta Falcons. And this started to seem like things were getting back to normal as the Cowboys route the Falcons 43-3 as they move to 7-2. The Falcons drop to 4-5. Dak had a show, 24-31, 2.96, two touchdowns. Uh, Tony Pollard actually led the running game. 11 carries for 42 yards. It's a 3.9 average. Zeke did get 14 carries to Tony's 11, but only rounded up 41 yards, which is a 2.9 per carry. But he got to the end zone twice. Dak also running one in for a touchdown. There's a QB sneak, I think. Uh, receiving was led by C.D. Lamb, who led with what they call, uh, the monk, uh, I don't know, some sort of a nagging injury to his elbow that's not going to keep him out. But he had six catches for 94 yards and two touchdowns to lead the way for the for the Cowboys. For the Falcons, Matt Ryan looking a little brutal here. 9 of 21, 117, and two picks. Was also sacked twice. Josh Rosen, the former first-round pick, getting some action, was one of six for 14 yards and a pick in the, you know garbage time. Um, with Cordell Patterson getting hurt, Wayne Gallman leading the backfield as Mike Davis has pretty much been booted out. He had 15 carries for 55 yards. It's a 3.7 average. And Kyle Pitts led the team in receiving four catches for uh, 60 yards. Defensively, well, Zeke lost a fumble for the Cowboys. The Cowboys were able to sack Matty Ice twice. For the Falcons defense, they got no sacks, but Foyase, Foysade, Alukan, 14, uh, 14 tackles on the day. Nice double-digit performance. The Cowboys did get three interceptions, one of those from Jordan Lewis, another from Anthony Brown, and Trayvon Diggs continuing to rack up the picks as he gets another one. Statistically, the Cowboys 6-14 of 14 on third down, pretty good numbers. The Falcons 1-11, for 11, that's brutal. They were also 0-2 for 2 on fourth down. The Cowboys 3-3 three for 3 on fourth down, some ballsy calls. I'm assuming most of those short yardage. Yardage-wise, the Cowboys out-yarded the Falcons by 120. Uh, they won the turnover battle 3-1 to one and out-possessed the Falcons by 15 minutes. Pretty much total dominance by the Cowboys offensively and defensively to get back in the win column. Uh, fun game here, back-and-forth effort as the Derrick Henry-list Titans find a way to win again to go to 8-2 and two at home over the Alvin Kamara-less uh, Saints 23 to 21, Tannehill 19 to 27, 213 and a touchdown was sacked twice. The backfield, there's a bunch of guys. You got McNichols, Foreman activated now, Adrian Peterson. Well, it was led by Donta Foreman, the ex-Houston, ex-Texas uh, running back. Let me confirm that's right. 
Yep, out of Texas. You know, Oklahoma, Big 12, I got you. Uh, 11 carries, 30 yards. It's only a 2.7 average. Adrian Peterson with 8 carries for 21. That's a 2.6 average. And then the team was led by Marcus Johnson in receiving 5 catches, 100 yards. To be honest, I don't know Marcus Johnson. So let's look. Well, this is his fifth season. He's actually out of Texas as well. Let's see. He played with the Colts uh, for most of his years after starting with the Eagles. Now, for the Saints, Trevor Simeon still at quarterback. Taysom Hill active, uh, getting a couple attempts. But Trevor Simeon led the way, 19-34, 298, two touchdowns, a sacked four times for 104.8 rating. But, hey, for your, your, you know, your backup quarterback, losing Drew Brees, losing Jameis, right? Taysom with the concussion, not really starting quarterback. Insert Trevor. Playing pretty good ball, especially with the weapons that he has to work with. No Kamara, Mark Ingram back in action. 14 carries, 47 yards, a pedestrian 3.4 average, and a tutty. And the receiving core was led by Deontay Harris, who had three catches for 84 yards. Mark Ingram doing well as well. Four catches for 61 yards of the backfield, doing his best Kamara impersonation. Now, Deontay Harris did lose a fumble. Uh, the defense of the Titans... Monty Rice with 11 tackles and a QB hit on the day. Uh, Jayon Brown, 10 tackles on the day. And Jeffrey Simmons with two sacks. A good performance by Jeffrey. For the Saints defense, they got two sacks by Marcus Davenport. Uh, he's been on a tear getting to the quarterback. No interceptions on the day. Statistically, the Titans 3-12 on third. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. The Saints bettered them 5-12. But total yards were in favor of the Saints by 90. And the Saints lost the turnover battle 1-0 and were out-possessed by three minutes in this close game. That really was the difference, the turnover on the day. So then we have the Colts playing the Jaguars. The score a little bit closer than the actual result is the Colts go to 500 at 5-5, five five, beating the 2-7 Jaguars 23-17. Carson Wentz, 22 at 34, 180 yards, playing clean football. And a big reason is because they got Jonathan Taylor, who had 21 carries for 116 yards. It's a five and a half average for a touchdown. He had a long run of 34 on the day. And Michael Pittman, wide receiver, number one, still leading the way, five catches, 71 yards. For the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, 16 to 35, pretty tough day, 162 yards, was sacked three times. The backfield was actually led by Jamal Agnew with only three carries, but he had a long run of 66 yards, a total of 79 yards and a tutty on the day. James Robinson back in the field, but because they were playing from behind, only got 12 carries for 57 yards. A lot of that in garbage time. It's a 4.8 average and a touchdown. And I know this because he's on my fantasy team. And Dan Arnold, their favorite target man, ever since he's gotten a Jags uniform, Always leading the way. Five catches, 67 yards. Uh, Trevor Lawrence did lose a fumble on the day. No big outstanding defensive performances. So statistically, the Colts 4 of 15 on third down. Pretty tough. The Jags 5 of 15. Yardage-wise, the Jaguars out-yarded um, the Colts by 40, but lost the turnover battle 1 to 0. And the Colts outpossessed the Jags 32 to 27. Much like the Titans game, the turnover, the big difference. 
Not much of a close game here as the Patriots smoke the Cleveland Browns as their injury woes and lack of star power continues. Mac Jones looking good. 19 and 23, 198 yards, three touchdowns. Um, with the big lead, Brian Hoyer got some garbage time attempts, even got a touchdown. He was three for three, 85 yards. And then Boomer Sooner, baby, Ramondre Stevenson getting an opportunity after being in and out of the doghouse throughout the season. He gets 20 carries, racks up 100 yards, and gets two tutties on the day. And then Kendrick Bourne led the receiving team in receiving four catches, 98 yards, and a tutty. Hunter Henry with nice two touchdowns on the day as well. For Cleveland, Case Keenum came in as Baker Mayfield left. Baker was 11 for 21, 73 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Case Keenum, 8 of 12, 81 yards. And no um, no Kareem Hunt still in the IR. No Nick Chubb battling COVID. So insert Dearness Johnson, who showed out on that Thursday night game a couple weeks ago. He got 19 carries, racked up 99 yards, which is a 5.2 average on the day. And he also led the team in receiving seven catches, 58 yards, getting over 100 all-purpose. Defensively, uh, Dietrich Wise Jr. with a sack and a half. They got to uh, the Cleveland quarterbacks five times. And no outstanding performances for Cleveland. They did get two sacks as a team. And Kyle Duggar with a, an interception for the Patriots. Statistically, the Patriots all over the Browns. They were seven for nine on third down, while the Browns were only one for 11. The Browns were two for four on fourth down, and the Patriots out-yarded the Browns by about 230 yards, won the turnover battle one to zero, and out-possessed the Browns by nine minutes. Another blowout, an expected blowout here, though. The Bills all over the Jets as the Jets dropped to two and seven. The Bills six to three. This was forty-five to seventeen. The final. Josh Allen twenty-one to twenty-eight, three hundred and sixty-six yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Those are typical Josh Allen numbers that we would expect, especially against the Jets. J E T S. <laughs> uh, Devin Singletary seven carries, forty-three yards. It's a six-point-one average and a touchdown. Uh, Matt Breda coming out of nowhere, getting a touchdown. Zach Moss with a touchdown. And Isaiah McKenzie with rushing touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, though, this was his day as he's back in action. Eight catches on 13 targets, 162 yards and a touchdown. He had a 57-yard reception. Gabriel Davis even getting in over 100. He had a, three catches for 105 yards. For the Jets offense, Mike White leads the way. He was 22, 24 of 44. 251 yards, and not one, not three, but four interceptions. So they let Joe Flacco, their trade acquisition, come in for once. Three for three, 47 yards, and a touchdown in garbage time. Their backfield was led by Michael Carter. Handled majority of the carries, 16 of them, even though they were behind most of the game. 39 yards and a touchdown. That's a 2.4 average. It's tough. And then one of my favorite slot receivers, Corey Davis, Five catches, 93 yards to lead the way for the Jets' offense. He did lose a fumble. Matt Breida lost a fumble on the day as well. Defensively for um, the Bills, typical Jordan Poyer performance. Ten tackles, two passes defended in a QB hit. They were able to sack uh, the Jets' quarterbacks once. The Jets' court, or defense had two sacks on the day against Josh Allen. And Sherrod Niesman got an interception for the Jets. For the Bills, Levi Wallace, Teron Johnson, Jordan Poyer, 
and Tredavious White all with interceptions as well. Now, statistically, the Jets were 3 of 13 on fourth, the Bills 4 of 17. The Bills outyarded the Jets by 120. They won the turnover battle 5 to 2, so plus 3, and were outpossessed by the Jets by 5 minutes, but they smoked them. And then a brutal game, if anything, the takeaway here in a draw, 16 to 16. The winless Lions do stay winless, although a little bit closer to a win. And the Steelers go to 5-3 and 1. Uh, very rainy, messy game. Really reiterates for all those Big Ben haters why Big Ben's the quarterback. He's the best option that team has this year. And they are riding with them. And we'll see what happens on Sunday Night Football against the Chargers this week. Uh, but Mason Rudolph threw the ball for 50 times. Lots of feedback on what the hell the game script was there for Pittsburgh. In a rainy, messy day, not continuing to run the ball. They give Mason 50 attempts, although in overtime. But 30 for 50, 242, a touchdown, a pick for a 70 rating. Does not look like a future quarterback in the NFL. Najee Harris, 26 carries, 105 yards on a four-per-carry average. Give him the ball more. Insert other running backs. Figure it out, Pittsburgh. Come on, nah. Uh, Deontay Johnson leading the receiving uh, core. Seven catches, 83 yards without Chase Claypool. And then for the Lions, Jared Goff, 14-25, 114 yards. They said, hey, let's run the ball. Uh, they gave DeAndre Swift 33 carries. He had 130 yards, which is a 3.9 average. They had a couple other randoms in there because Jamal Williams was not playing after the bye. And uh, Amon Ra St. Brown leading the way, four, four catches, 61 yards. Uh, Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth with pivotal, pivotal fumbles towards the end of the game. Pat Fryermuth in overtime. And um, defensively, Joe Schobert with 13 tackles, one tackle for a loss. Alex Highsmith with 11 tackles, two tackles for a loss and an interception. Cameron Hayward, the leader, the guy that this defense organizes around this year with two sacks on the day, continuing to put up crazy numbers for the season. He also had two tackles for a loss and two QB hits. Defensively for the Lions, they didn't get a sack on the day and no outstanding performances, but Julian Okwara did get the interception. Statistically, the Lions were 4 of 18 on third, the Steelers 7 of 17. The Lions were a good 2 for 2 on fourth down. The Steelers outyarded the Lions by 80, won, lost the turnover battle 3 to 0, so are minus 3, and outpossessed the Lions by 3 minutes in the in the nice clean tie. Surprise, surprise, your Taylor Heineke led Washington football team at home defeats the defending champion Buccaneers. The Buccaneers dropped to 6 and 3. The WFT sounds like an NFT, but it's still a football name for some reason. Uh, goes to three and six Heineke 26 to 32, 256 and a touchdown. I always wanted to have faith and believe in this guy throughout the season. He has proved me wrong. I'm not just going to go back on the Heineke bandwagon, but a good performance against a beat up, but still solid team in defense. Antonio Gibson getting the rock as he gets majority of the carries outside of JD McKissick, which is a surprise. 24 carries, 64 yards. Only a 2.7 average, but got the end zone twice. And Scary Terry, six catches, 59 yards to lead the way, although DeAndre Carter got the touchdown reception. 
The GOAT, Tom Brady, 23 of 34, 220, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's a real off day in his department. Still had an 80, uh, 80.5 rating. And then Leonard Fournette, the only back to really be involved these days. 11 carries, 47 yards. It's a 4.3 average. And Mike Evans leading the way with no Antonio Brown, no Rob Gronkowski still. Two catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. He had a 40-yard reception. Dax Milne lost a fumble for Washington. There was an interception by Bobby McCain and William Jackson III. They got no sacks on the day. Meanwhile, Devin White, a fucking machine. 18 tackles, 13 solo. Two sacks, three tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. Levante David, not far behind, 14 tackles. Antoine Winfield Jr., 11 tackles, two tackles for a loss. They got to um, Mr. Heineke five times. Now, statistically, the Washington football team, 11 of 19 on third down, pretty solid numbers, two for two on fourth. Uh, Tampa Bay, four of 10 on third, two for two on fourth. The Washington football team out-yarded the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by 50, won the turnover battle 2-1, to one, and out-possessed the Bucs by 19 minutes. So now we got Cam Newton back. He doesn't start. P.J. Walker starts against the Cardinals. No Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins, and the Panthers stole the show. They took care of this one early. Cam Newton touched the ball twice, got two touchdowns. We'll see if he starts this week, but... P.J. Walker, 22 of 29, 167 yards and a pick. Cam Newton was three and three for four, eight yards and a touchdown. This was the CMC show as he had 13 carries for 95 yards. And then he led the team in receiving 10 catches, 66 yards, although he didn't get paid her in the end zone. For the Cardinals, Colt McCoy, this is a more Colt McCoy-like game that I would expect. 11 of 20, 107 yards and a pick. And then James Conner leading the backfield per usual especially with no uh, Chase Edmonds, 10 carries, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Eno Benjamin chipping in a little bit, 6 carries, 22 yards. And Christian Kirk leading the receiving core, 7 catches, 58 yards. Uh, Colt McCoy did lose a fumble on the day. P.J. Walker lost a fumble as well. Dante Jackson got a pick for the Panthers. Jalen Thompson with the pick for the Cardinals. Um, no outstanding defensive performances for the Panthers. They did get four sacks as a unit. The Cardinals with no sacks, but Jordan Hicks, 10 tackles and a pass defended. Statistically, a yucky game for the Cardinals. 4 of 13 on third down, 0 for 3 on fourth. Um, the Panthers 7 of 15 on third down. The Panthers out yard the Cardinals by 150. Both teams have two turnovers, but the Panthers outyard the Cardinals by 15 minutes. All right, so Vikings against Chargers. The Vikings went 27 to 20 as they go to four and five, still staying in there. The the Chargers dropped to five and four. Kirk Cousins 25 to 37, 294 and two touchdowns. Dalvin Cook 24 carries, 94 yards. It's a 3.9 average and a tutty. And then Justin Jefferson. Having a game, nine catches, 143 yards. The Vikings offense cruises through the Chargers defense. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, 20-34, 195, a touchdown and a pick. He was sacked twice as well. And Austin Eckler getting 11 carries for 44 yards to lead the backfield. Keenan Allen leading the receiving core again, eight catches, 98 yards. 
Mike Williams putting out dud of performances. He only had 33 yards. He's on my fantasy team. Uh, Kirk Cousins lost a fumble. Eric Kendricks got an interception for the Vikings. The Vikings were able to sack Herbert twice as a unit. For the Chargers defense, Derwin James obviously involved with the, the high-flying offense the Vikings had. 12 tackles, 9 solo, and a pass defended. And Kaiser White with 12 tackles and a tackle for a loss. They got two sacks on Mr. Captain Kirk, Kirk Cousins. Third down conversions for the Vikings, 5 of 14, 2 for 2 on fourth down. The Chargers, 5 of 12, so pretty similar numbers, not great. Uh, the Vikings outyarded the Chargers by 130. They both had a turnover, and the Vikings outpossessed the Chargers by 13 minutes. That's some ball control. It's a Dalvin Cook show right there. Moving on to another afternoon game, the Eagles upending the Broncos on the road. They go to 4-6 and six as the Broncos drop to 5-5. Five and five. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 16-23, 178 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Jordan Howard led the backfield with 12 carries. Boston Scott also had 11. Howard racked up 83 yards, which is a 6.9 average, while Boston had 81 yards, a 7.4 average, so they ran the ball well. Jalen Hurts did get 14 carries for 53 yards. And Kenneth Gainwell, the supposed RB2 behind Miles Sanders, nowhere to be found with two carries for five yards. Um, Jalen's favorite target, Devonta Smith, led the receiving core with four catches, 66 yards, and two tutties for the Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater, 22 at 36, 226 for a 79 rating. Knock him as well. He threw an interception and completely did not want anything to do with the tackle. This, uh, a tackle that would have saved a pick six. Makes you wonder if he's worried about injuries. Is he really not that bought in? I'm sure the front office will have conversations with old Teddy. Uh, but Javante Williams getting eight carries for 48 yards. That's a six uh, per carry average. Melvin Gordon getting nine, only 45 yards. Which is still a five uh, per yard average. He got the touchdown, though. And the receiving was led by backup tight end Albert Aquajabunam. I have no idea how to say that. <laughs> Three catches, 77 yards. Melvin Gordon lost a fumble on the day again. Um... Defensively, the Broncos got to Jalen Hurts once, and the Eagles were able to get to Teddy Bridgewater once, but Justin Simmons got an interception for the Broncos. Statistically, the Broncos won for 11 on third, 0 for 2 on fourth down. That would make you throw up if you're a coach. The Eagles 6 to 13 on third down. They outyarded the Broncos by 80. Both teams turned the ball over once, but the Eagles outpossessed the Broncos by nine minutes. Gaining clarity in the NFC, Russell Wilson's back. The big showdown, Seahawks-Packers. I was so excited to watch this game. You would expect it to be fireworks. Well, that Seahawks offense just straight shut down. The Packers went 17-0 as they moved to 8-2. The Seahawks dropped to 3-6. Mr. COVID Rodgers, 23-37, 292 and a pick. Uh, the backfield was led by A.J. Dillon as Aaron Jones got hurt. Boy, did he do something. Uh, 21 carries for 66 yards. It's a 3.1 average, but he got two touchdowns. And obviously, Rodgers' favorite target led the receiving core. Devontae Adams, seven catches, 78 yards. Uh, A.J. Dillon did get 62 yards on, on two receptions. Trying to show him that he could be Aaron, Aaron Jones if need be. For the Hawks, Russell Wilson's back 20 for 40, 161 yards, two picks, sacked three times. 
for a 39.7 rating. For all the injuries the Packers have had and what they looked like early season, that defense is showing out. Watch out, ladies and gentlemen. Alex Collins, no um, uh, no Chris Carson. So Alex Collins gets 10 carries for 41 yards to lead the backfield. And Gerald Everett led the team in receiving eight catches, 63 yards. Metcalf with only 26 yards and Lockett only with 23. On the defensive side, the Packers got to Russell three times. Um, Adrian Amos and Kevin King with interceptions for the Hawks, Jordan Brooks, 13 tackles and a tackle for loss. Jamal Adams, 11 tackles, a pass defended and two QB hits. Jamal Adams also had the interception. He did the discount double check and Rogers said, Hey, I threw it right at you. No big deal. Statistically, the Packers seven to 14 on third down 0 for one on fourth. The Seahawks almost identical, identical, 7 of 15 on 4th, 0 for 1 on, or 7 of 15 on 3rd, 0 for 1 on 4th. The Packers outyarded the Seahawks by just under 200 yards. They won the turnover battle 2 to 1 and outpossessed the Seahawks by 19 minutes. Did not expect that one to happen. Should have expected this one, but not to the extent as I started losing faith in my preseason favorite, the Chiefs. Just too many games in a row. I didn't lose lose hope, though. I expected them to sneak into the playoffs. Well, they might do more than sneak in the playoffs as they now lead the division as they smoke the Raiders at home 41-14. to They move to 6-4. and four. The Raiders drop to 5-4. and four. Pat Mahomes looks like Pat Mahomes again. Uh, 35 of 50, 406 yards, a five-burger. Give me ketchup, please. 127.6 rating. And the backfield was led by Darrell Williams as Clyde's Edwards Hilaire is probably a week away. 11 carries, 43 yards. It's a 3.9 average. Travis Kels, eight catches, a buck 19. And Darrell Williams, man, with that crazy end zone grab for a, a big back like him. Nine catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. He almost eclipses 150 yards on the day. Cheetah, Tyreek Hill, seven catches, 83 yards. He gets to the end zone twice. For the Raiders, Derek Carr, 25 of 35, 261, two touchdowns and a pick. He was sacked twice. Only had the backfield was led by Derek Carr with three carries for 18 yards. Uh, Josh Jacobs had the most carries, seven, but only 16 yards. It's a 2.3 average. And Brian Edwards led the receiving core, three catches, 88 yards and a touchdown. Darren Waller, only 24 yards on four catches and seven targets. On the defensive side, uh, well, Deshaun Jackson, first game in the silver and black, wide open, catches the ball, could run to the end zone, turns around, fumbles the ball, looks like he's giving it away for the team. Literally like a, come on, man, what the F are you doing? What is even happening? I ain't mind blown, honestly. But he loses a fumble. Mike Hughes loses a fumble for the Chiefs. Um, Daniel Sorensen with a lone interception for the Chiefs on the day. The defense for the Chiefs got to... Uh, I want to keep saying David Carr, Derek Carr twice and the defense for the Raiders with no sacks, but Denzel Perryman continuing to be a tackle machine, 11 tackles and Jonathan Abram with 10. Statistically, the Raiders one of nine on third, one of two on fourth, the Chiefs nine of 15 on third, three for three on fourth. That's a lot better. The Chiefs out yard the Raiders by 220. They do win the turnover battle 2-1 to one and outpossess the Raiders by 11 minutes. 
which set us up for a Monday night. Another surprise. You got Von Miller. You got Aaron Donald playing together. Jalen Rams. You figure this defense is going to shut down that Kyle Shanahan offense. Kyle Shanahan and their game scripts have been mind-blowing. They haven't used the physicality that you'd expect. They weren't running the ball until Monday night. The Raiders upset the Rams 31-10 to to move to 4-5 and as the Rams dropped to 7-3. and You knew this NFC West wasn't going to be that easy, did you? Well, Jimmy G keeping his job, 15-19, and 182 and two touchdowns. It's a Jimmy G-like game if I've ever seen one. Elijah Mitchell led the backfield, 27 carries, 91 yards. It's a 3.5 average. And Debo Samuel led the way for the receiving core, five catches, 97 yards with a 40-yard reception and a touchdown. Meanwhile, the Rams' high-flying offense slowed down. Uh, Matt Stafford with a tough game again, 26 for 41, 243. A touchdown, two picks, sacked twice for a 67 rating. Darrell Henderson with only five carries to lead the backfield. 31 yards, that's a 6.2 average. And Cooper Cup, of course, leading the receiving core. 11 catches on 13 targets for 122 yards. Uh, defensively, Jimmy Ward with two picks, one of those being a pick six that made the game 14-0 really quick. Um, the defense got to Stafford twice. For the Rams, they only got to Jimmy G once, but Troy Reader with 11 tackles and a tackle for loss. Taylor Rapp, ex-Husky, 10 tackles, one sack, tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. What a wild week in football. I mean, we look at the, the standings. The Bills 6-3, Pat 6-4, looking good. The AFC North is just a clusterfuck of who's legit, who's not, what's going on. You'd think the Steelers had a golden opportunity uh, but the Ravens are top six and three. The Steelers five three and one. Bengals five and four. Browns five and five. And the AFC South, a two horse show. The Titans somehow eight and two. The Colts five and five. And the AFC West looks like a lot like the AFC North. The Chiefs ahead as we expected six and four. Chargers five and four. Raiders five and four. Broncos five and five. And the NFC, the Cowboys seven and two should run away with the division. In the NFC North, the Vikings trying to stay relevant at 4-5 and five as the Packers go to 8-2. and two. There's a big showdown there this coming week, which we'll talk about. The AFC South, really competitive. We'll see what actually happens. But the Bucks 6-3 leading the way. Saints right behind 5-4. and four. Panthers 5-5. Five and five. Falcons still there 4-5. and five. NFC West, this is the one to watch. I do think the Seahawks find a way to scrounge in. I talked about this last week, and I did not pick them to make the playoffs preseason. They're three and six. The Niners four and five. Rams seven and three. Cardinals eight and two. This is going to be an interesting division down to the end. What do we got in week eleven? It's freaking week eleven. I can't believe it. It's almost Thanksgiving. Where did the time go? Where did the time go? Well, this Thursday, another barn burner. Your four and five Atlanta Falcons hosting the six and four Patriots. I'm sure everyone's stoked for this game. The Patriots getting a seven point um, advantage, according to Vegas, on the road. I'm going to take the Falcons to cover, but I'm going to take the Patriots to win. But these home teams on NF on Thursday night football. Look at what the Dolphins did to the Ravens this past week. You're trying to win a little bit of cheddar. That's a good game to put your money on, but I'm going to take the Falcons on the spread. I think the, the the Patriots, I expected them. They have an easy schedule to get in the playoffs. I had them at 10 wins. I don't think that highly of them. They're a solid team. They're a solid team, but 
people are blowing them out of proportion like they're going to win the Super Bowl and Bill Belichick's got a fucking dynasty again. You never know. But they're not going to win anything. Slow your roll. Sunday morning, we got Bills hosting the Colts. This is a fun AFC battle, uh, especially with Hard Knocks coming in. The Bills seven-point favorites at home. I don't think that they cover. I do think they win. It's hard for me to pick the Colts on the road uh, unless they can get an early lead. But the, the Bills have been all over the place this year. Let's see if they can get some consistency. I'm taking the Bills. The Bears hosting the Ravens. The Ravens a six-point favorite on the road. I'm going with the Bears, man. I think that defense is going to cause havoc for Lamar Jackson. The offense is going to get just enough done. David Gummery back in action. Justin Fields getting more comfortable. That's my upset pick of the week. I went back and forth on this, but we look at the Ravens. They just played Thursday. They had an extent or a longer week coming in this week. Looked like shit against the, the Dolphins. Dolphins defense is doing pretty well. Before that, they had a very tough game against the Vikings. I think the war of attrition is going to get to them here. As the Bears just had a bye week, right? Yeah, the Bears coming off a bye week. So, actually, I don't know if that's true. November 8th. Yep, they're coming off a bye week. The Bears upset special. You watch. Um... Another morning game, the 5-5 five and five Browns taking on the Lions. The Browns a 10-point favorite at home. I don't think they cover either, but I am going to choose them to win. Titans taking on the 1-8 Texans. Tyrod Taylor back in action. Still no King Henry, a backfield in flux. No uh, Julio Jones. A.J. Green balling out. Titans favor 10.5. I don't think they cover, but I expect them to win at home. I'm taking the Titans. Huge, huge, huge NFC North game. The Packers just owning the Vikings in the Rodgers era. They travel to Minnesota to take on the 4-5 and five Vikings. The Packers are favored by 2.5 at home. Because they own the Vikings, it's like the AFC North. The Steelers own that division. i got to go with the Packers. I like them to cover at 2.5. The Jets hosting the 2-7 and seven Jets, hosting the 3-7 and seven Dolphins. I see here there are tickets as low as $22 if you want to go to see uh, that shit show of a performance is Joe Flacco, maybe Mike White, who knows? Maybe they throw Wilson back in there. Well, the Dolphins are three-point favorites on the road. I'm going to have to pick the Dolphins. The Jets are just a catastrophe, as expected. The 4-6 and six Eagles taking on the 5-4 and four, uh, Saints. Pretty solid game here. The Eagles are a point-and-a-half favorite. I like what Simeon's been doing. I would expect Kamara gets back. Let's see if there's an update. You know, I'm doing my show on time. It's only Tuesday. I'm on top of my shit this week. Feeling good. All caught up. That it's so early in the week, we have no idea, right? I might have to change these. Like, as of now, I'm taking the Steelers, but if Big Ben doesn't play, Claypool, Turner, all these fucking injuries I have, I can't do that. No update on Kamara, but I'm going to expect he plays. I'm going to take the Saints on the road. Technically, that's an upset. The 5-2 Panthers hosting the Washington football team, uh, Carolina, Cam Newton, Ron Rivera. Lots of cool storylines in this one. The pa Panthers favored by 3.5. I think they win at home. I'm assuming Cam Newton starts, but uh, they're going to have just uh, basically what the Niners did on Monday night, last night against the Rams, a physical game script coming at you, big bodies, looking to run you down and wear you out. Without Chase Young, 
that defense underperforming. I just cannot believe in the Washington football team. But life in the NFL. We're about to find out. But I'm taking the Panthers. I'm taking them to cover. The two and seven Jags hosting the four and nine or four and five Niners. It's the last morning game. Niners six and a half point favorites on the road. <sighs> That's. Hmm. I'm not going to take them to cover. I think they went sloppy. This is going to be a low-scoring, ugly game. But I'm going to take the Niners. Raiders host five and four Raiders hosting the five and four Bengals in the afternoon slate. The Bengals favored by one on the road. I'm pretty sure. Bengals coming off a bye week. I'm pretty positive I picked the Bengals. Let me double check, you know. Let's see. Bengals on the road. They're favored by a point. Yeah, I mean, take them to cover. Let's do it. Probably the game of the week. The fact that this is only an afternoon game is pretty crazy. Six and four Chiefs taking on the seven and two Char- or Cowboys. This is the first time Dak Prescott gets to take on Pat Mahomes as that interconference schedule. You only get AFC, NFC one out of four years unless you place the same, yada, yada. This should be a show. I thought Russell Wilson Rodgers would be a show, so you never know. But I'm going to be strapped in for this game. The Chiefs, two and a half point favorites at home. I originally picked the Cowboys, went back to the Chiefs. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. They just have too many weapons, and they can't be held down. If any last week was any indication where they're heading, you got to go with the Chiefs. The 3-6 and six Seahawks taking on the 8-2 and two Cardinals at home. Murray, Hopkins, questionable. Cardinals, two-and-a-half-point favorites. I was going to pick the Cardinals. Let's, you know, assuming Hopkins and Murray plays. But they've been out a while in Seattle. It's been rainy and shitty here. I, I just got to go with the Seahawks at home. I think they're going to find a way. So another upset on the docket. Five and four Chargers hosting the five and three Steelers. Lots of COVID issues here. Mika Fitzpatrick looks to be out. Big Ben possibly coming back. Um, Joey Bosa and someone else on the Chargers not expected to play unless you know they get lucky as well as Minka. As of now, assuming most of the injured players are starting for the Steelers, and we're going to go with the Steelers. They typically own the Chargers. The Chargers a five-point favorite at home. Give me that money, but it can change if players don't play. Heading into Monday night, the Buccaneers 6-3 playing the 3-6 Giants. You would expect the Bronco or Buccaneers to recover and bounce back after such a shitty performance, dropping two in a row. They're 11-point favorites at home. I'm not taking them to cover. Saquon Barkley, um, Kenny Galladay should be back for the Giants coming off that bye week. I'm going to go with the Buccaneers, but I'm not taking them to cover for week 11, baby. Woo-wee, things are getting interesting, man. My Steelers, god damn. Got to find a QB next year. Got to find a QB. One more year. Come on, Ben, let's make it happen. Anyways, let's look at college football last week. You know, I, I just I waited to record this until after the college football playoff rankings. The top seven didn't change, just a bunch of malarkey. But this Thursday night game was a blast. I watched this over the Thursday night football game. The uh, Pittsburgh Panthers, the Kenny Pickett-led Panthers, take down the Sam Howell-led North Carolina Tar Heels. Pickett with a lot of NFL execs in-house. 25 of 43, 346 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Um, 
The team didn't run very much. They they let they leaned on Kenny Pickett. Sam Howell is 22 of 33, 296, two touchdowns and a pick. And he ran the ball for 28 yards and a touchdown. Antoine Green for the uh, Tar Heels, 108 yards and two touchdowns on display as well as the Panthers move up. I guess before we talk about the other games, let's talk about the rankings and the, the headlines around the league. For the Huskies, Jimmy Lake outed. Very controversial. Don't really feel like talking about it. It's political bullshit. Virginia Tech firing Justin Fuente. More head coaching jobs. Right, You got LSU. You got TCU. You got them. Bo Nix out, out for the year for the Auburn squad. Bijan Robinson out of the year for Texas as their year just went into a dumpster fire. Have to give another shout out. College game day got blown away by Montana and told them to just suck a fat one. Um, but Montana's Justin Ford shouted him out last week. Gets another pick eight games in a row. Bravo, young man. Bravo. What a stud. Um, super bummed about game day was planning on going out there. Almost bought tickets. Glad I didn't, but I will be having a good time watching that Saturday morning. Um, rankings reaction. I saw something on Twitter saying they shouldn't do a college football playoff show every week. Especially like the top seven aren't changed. First of all, the fucking top teams don't make any sense. And I think will dramatically change. Just do it at the end of the year. Why have this show every week? And I fully agree. Oh, well, let's look at the top seven in it change. The big differences was Oklahoma dropped five to 13 after losing to Baylor. Texas M dropped five after losing to Ole Miss. North Carolina State dropped four. Arkansas up four to number 21 Houston and Mississippi state insert into the rankings. Uh, Ole Miss up three spots, Baylor up two spots, Iowa, Pittsburgh, and San Diego state up three spots. My overrated underrated doesn't really change a lot. You know, I just, I don't think I've been watching the games probably more than most of these guys in the committee. How can a nine and one pac 12 team again, be number three in the nation. So if we're not going by records, we're we're not going, we're going by eye test and who looks the best. You're telling me you think Oregon's better than Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Like, get the hell out of here with that, man. I hate it. They're overrated. Cincinnati, got to give them credit. They're undefeated. They beat Notre Dame. They're not the fifth best team in the country, if that's what these rankings are supposed to be. Uh, Notre Dame, overrated. Don't believe in them. Wake Forest, they're a fun team, but 10 is high for them. Overrated. I think Baylor's overrated. They did beat the shit out of Oklahoma. I was pissed off as an Oklahoma fan, but I don't think they're that good. I think a lot of the teams below them could beat them. Uh, the other one's pretty self-explanatory. UTSA, North Carolina State. They have Wisconsin at 15 with three losses. Dude, Arkansas would smoke them. I would say Utah would beat Wisconsin. Mississippi State would beat Wisconsin. So that's why they're overrated. Underrated Ole Miss, Matt Carell. I like him. Coral, I guess it is. Uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas, I think they could be a lot of teams ranked ahead of them, especially Arkansas at 21. So back to last week's games. I, I, I saw the Pittsburgh thing, and it made me think of the head coaches. But that was a fun Thursday night game. Friday, Cincinnati rolls South Florida as expected. Desmond Ryder, 31-39, 304 yards and two touchdowns. My Wyoming Cowboys playing tough, but as expected, dropped to Boise State. Um, 
Isaiah Nair for Wyoming, six catches, 126 yards and a touchdown. Other than that, not a lot done offensively. Georgia rolls Tennessee. A lot of people like Tennessee as a spicy upset. The dogs weren't having it at all. James Cook, 140 yards and 10, on 10 carries and two touchdowns. Uh, Bama rolls New Mexico State. I was talking to my friend. How in the hell does Bama get a New Mexico one and nine, one and eight coming in? New Mexico State this late in the season. It must be that they want to keep the games going and not have bye weeks. The only thing that can make sense to me. Yeah, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Oregon beats Washington State 38 to 24. Uh, Anthony Brown, 123 yards on 17 carries and a touchdown. Ohio State uh, beats Purdue 59 to 31. Purdue had the big win. They shot up the rankings, but they weren't that good. Uh, Ohio State had me and Williams with 14 carries, 117 yards. And Jackson Smith, Najaba, nine catches, 139 yards and a tutty. Some Big Ten action. My upset of the week was Penn State winning at home. They couldn't get the job done. Michigan escapes 21 to 17. Cade McNakamara, 19 to 29, 217 yards and three touchdowns. Hassan Haskins with 31 carries for 156 yards. Michigan rolls, uh, Michigan State rolls Maryland as expected. Heisman frontrunner Kenneth Walker III continues his route with 30 carries for 143 yards and two touchdowns. Tua's brother, 29 to 48, 350 and two touchdowns. Um, Jaden Reed of Michigan State, eight catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. Then we had the Baylor upset, 27 to 14. Caleb Williams, insert Spencer Rattler, go back to Caleb Williams. The offense could not figure it out. Caleb Williams was nine of 18, 142 yards, and two picks. Um, basically got ran all over. The quarterback for Baylor, Jerry Bohannon, running all over them. Abram Smith, 20 carries, 148 yards. Brutal day at the office. We'll see what they can do playing Iowa State this week. And then the big battle of Bedlam. We'll see. As an Oklahoma fan, they get in every year with one loss, winning the Big 12. Let's say Georgia beats Alabama, two losses. Those are clearly the best two teams. I'd assume they find a way to get them in. You know, Cincinnati is going to be a tough one. But how would you not have... A one-loss Oklahoma or a one-loss, well, let's see. Does Iowa, Ohio State have one loss? Yeah. Or a one-loss Ohio State. They're in right now at four. How, how would those teams not get in to the, the final four? So I just don't know. If Oklahoma beats Iowa State and beats ninth-ranked Oklahoma State, and let's say they get a rematch with Baylor or they play Oklahoma State again, I just don't see how these rankings make any sense, man. I just don't understand. But some big games anyways. Uh, Notre Dame rolls Virginia 28-3. Kyron Williams, 14 carries, 70 yards, and a tutty. Oklahoma State just destroys TCU 63-17, trying to get those ranking records scores. Uh, Spencer Sanders, 17-25, 235, and a touchdown. Dominic Richardson, 12 carries, 134 yards, and two tutties. Blaine Green, three catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Ole Miss, 15th ranked at the time, beats Texas A&M. As expected, I expected it. Uh, Matt Coral, 24-37, 247, and a touchdown. 
Wake Forest beats North Carolina State 45-42. Fun game here. Uh, Justice Ellison, 17 carries, 56 yards, two touchdowns. And Amike Amize, 10 catches, 133 yards, two touchdowns for Wake Forest. North Carolina State's QB, Devin Leary, 408 yards and four touchdowns in defeat. Uh, Mississippi State upsets Auburn. Will Rogers, 44 of 55, 415, six touchdowns. That's a Mike Leake quarterback stat if I've seen one. Uh, Wisconsin beats Northwestern 35 to 7. Graham Mertz, 18 and 23, 216 yards and two touchdowns. Iowa beats Minnesota 27 to 22. Uh, Alex Padilla taking over at quarterback 11 to 24, 206 yards and two touchdowns to lead the way. San Diego State beats Nevada 30, 23 to 21. UTSA beats Southern Miss 27 21. Frank Gore Jr. playing there. 20 carries, 123 yards, and a touchdown. Going to give him a shout-out. Uh, Utah beats Arizona way closer than you would think. Cameron Rising, 19-30, 294, and two touchdowns. Ex-Oklahoma Sooner TJ Pledger, 25 carries, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. Arkansas escapes LSU in overtime, 16-13. Florida almost gets upset. Uh, by Samford, but they went 70 to 52. Emory Jones, 28 for 34, 464 and six touchdowns, plus an additional 86 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Clemson beats UConn 44 to 7. DJ, 21 of 44, 241 and a tutty. Kansas State beats West Virginia 34 to 17 in a decent Big 12 game. SMU beats UCF 55 to 28. Tanner Mordecai, 37-54, 377, three touchdowns. What else on Saturday? Georgia State beats Coastal Carolina with their backup quarterback. Coastal was looking to get in unscathed, lost their quarterback. Florida State beats Miami as Miami had some momentum. Tyler Van Dyke still playing well, 25-47, 316, and four touchdowns. Texas Tech beat Iowa State. Iowa State can't catch a break. Brock Purdy, 356 and three touchdowns in defeat. What else? Arizona State beating Washington in a Pac-12 shit show. Kansas beating Texas in overtime. If you can kick them while, you, while they're down, that was what happened. Casey Thompson, 30 for 43, 358 yards and six tutties in defeat. That's tough, man. What about FCS? We're getting to the FCS playoff. The brawl of the wild, baby, coming up this week. Well, last week, North Dakota State smoked Youngstown State after losing 49-17. What else did we have last week? Dayton beat Davidson 38-29. David, Dayton's 6-4. Davidson drops to 7-2. Sam Houston stays undefeated, beating Eastern Kentucky 42-28. Rhode Island beats New Hampshire 28-3 as they move to 7-3. Villanova beats Stony Brook 33-14 as they move to 8-2. The Salukis, baby. Southern Illinois beats Indiana State 47-21 as they move to 7-3. I love that. I can't believe I never knew that. Uh, Princeton 8-1 beats Yale 35-20 in the Ivy League. South Dakota, man, the Hail Mary, tipped Hail Mary, one of the craziest videos, viral videos I've seen for a college finish. 
They beat the very good Jackrabbits, who just beat North Dakota State 23-20. Tough loss for the Jackrabbits. Both teams are 7-3. Montana State escaping Idaho as they move up to number 3 in the FCS rankings. The Grizz beat Northern Arizona 30-3. Uh, Cameron Humphrey, 21-37, 280 yards and, a touch, and an interception. He got hurt. Supposed to play this week. That's big. Uh, Missouri State goes to 7-3 as they take down Northern Iowa to go to 5-5, 34-27. James Madison beats William & Mary to go to 9-1. They win 32-22. Cole Johnson, 24-42, 334 yards and a touchdown for James Madison. Antoine Wells Jr., 9 catches, 134 yards. Weber State had to put their anger out on someone. They put it out on the 1-10 Southern Utah team. 62-0, a team that doesn't have a lot of offense showing out. Southeast Louisiana smokes Northwestern State, 56-28 to move to 8-2. Battle of the Big Sky Top Dogs, Eastern Washington um, upends UC Davis, 38-21. Eric Barreri, 34 for 54, 411 yards and two touchdowns. Freddie Robertson with eight, six catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. And Tamarik Pierce, 17 carries, 89 yards, and a tutty. And then Sac State beating Portland State, 49-20. to The Big Sky dominance continues. Heading into this week in the FCS world, the brawl of the wild is all that matters. No, I'm just kidding. What else do we have in FCS? Uh-uh. Eight and two Villanova on the road against Delaware five and five. That'll be a good game. James Madison nine and one taking on four and six Towson at home. Nine and one Jackson State taking on six and four Alcorn State. South Dakota State 7-3 taking on 5-5 five five North Dakota. That'll be a fun one. 6-4 William & Mary taking on 5-5 five five Richmond. 9-1 North Dakota State taking on the hot 7-3 South Dakota squad. See if South Dakota can upset them again. Big time Big Sky matchup. Two 8-2 teams. Sac State undefeated in the Big Sky. Um, traveling to California to play UC Davis. And then the Brawl of the Wild, baby. So we got, let's see, what is Montana 7 now? Bozeman's number 3. Fucking Bozeman. The Grizz, 8-2 and two at number 7. Couldn't do college game day, but boy, oh boy, is this a big one. Bobby Hawk never loses to the Cats. First, first year back loses to the Cats in Bozeman. This is at home. You have to defend home turf. When I was a college student, the Grizz hadn't lost to Bozeman at home in years, let alone barely lost in Bozeman. Had multiple undefeated seasons into the FCS championship and lost. That dominance needs to come back. It starts with winning in Bozeman, making a playoff run, and go up to the FBS, leave that shit behind, make moves. All the good teams are moving up. Their conferences are expanding. Make an opportunity. Get better recruiting. Grow the program. But, man, is this stadium going to be rocking. This is going to be a blast. Doesn't seem like there'll be a lot of snow or wintry conditions, uh, but I'm going to have a crock pot going with some good food, good people, 
Uh, it's going to be a blast, man. I, I, I'll i never forget the Brawl of the Wild games in Bozeman and Missoula. But the Grizz got to start gaining dominance. The Grizz lose to the Cats this year. I'm, it's going to be hard for me as a fan to even give a shit if we can't even beat the Cats. Granted, that's a ranked three in the nation, Cats, but you just can't lose your rivals like that. You know what I mean? Supposed to be big brother, little brother. Speaking of which, let's move to the FBS and talk about the big boys. What do we got this week? We got Ohio State hosting Michigan State. This is where college game day decided to go and probably, honestly, the best move. Um, I'm going to take Ohio State at home. They're favored by 19. Get out of here with that. I don't think they cover whatsoever. It's going to be a lot closer game than that. 7-3 uh, and three, Clemson hosting number 10th ranked Wake Forest. I think Clemson's going to find a way to get the job done. This shows you how overrated Wake Forest is. Clemson's favored by four at home. Oklahoma against Iowa State. This was supposed to be the game that decided the conference. Iowa State's leading egg. Oklahoma dropped one. Let's see how they respond. How does Lincoln Riley rattle the team? Uh, that's going to be a fun game in the morning, Saturday morning. I'm taking Oklahoma. Four and six West Virginia taking on four and six Texas in the battle of the sh you know the shit seasons in the Big Twelve. Illinois has had some upsets, so maybe they can get the job done against a terrible offense. Iowa eight and two taking on Illinois. Illinois Iowa's favored by thirteen at home. I bet you they don't cover. Potential upset, just a team that finds a way into upsets. Notre Dame hosting Georgia Tech. Just saying, watch out. You'll never, you won't, don't be surprised. Bama taking on Arkansas. That's going to be a fun one at 12.30 on CBS. Bama favored by 20. I don't think they'll cover that. Big game for Cincinnati as they take on the 8-2 SMU squad, the Taylor Mordecai ex-Sooner QB-led squad. Um, Cincinnati is favored. Just lost my spot here. Cincinnati is favored by 11.5 at home. I don't think they cover. What else? Some decent games. 7-3 Liberty taking on the Raging Cajuns. That's going to be a fun one. See Malik Willis in action. He's had a couple tough games, uh, but still, from what I've seen in mock drafts, projected pretty high. 7-3 Kansas State hosting Baylor. I guess Oklahoma fan, I need them to win. Um, it's an even line. I'm going to go with Baylor on the road. That's going to be a very good game. That's a 2.30 Pacific start on Fox Sports. Utah hosting Oregon. Utah favored by three at home. I'm taking or, uh, Utah at home as well. Get Oregon the hell out of those rankings. They're so overrated. I can't see straight. Utah hasn't been playing the best ball of late, though. Six and four, Texas Tech hosting Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State favored by 10.5 on the road. I don't think they cover, but I think they win. My Wyoming Cowboys on the road against Utah State. A very good Utah State team, eight and two. 5-1 in the Mountain West. They're 5.5-point favorites. hate doing this, but I just can't pick Wyoming. I'm going to take Utah State. Fun Pac-12 matchup. 6-4 Oregon State hosting Arizona State after that crazy Washington game. So we got some games, man. We got some games. We're getting in, ready to enter the conference playoffs, FC, or conference championships, FCS, FCS playoffs. We're really going to find who the real, real winners are but let's talk fights because we've been winning as fight fans every freaking saturday man uh some new fights announced julian marquez taking on kyle dacus kyle dacus gone through multiple opponents lately so insert julian marquez that's going to be a, a a fun one 
Major, major banger alert. We have Bilal Muhammad taking on Steven Wonderboy Thompson. I thought about this a couple times. Can't wait for that fight. That's going to be a fun one to dive into. Alex Morano taking on Mickey Gall. Young stud Puna Haley Soriano taking on Nick Maximov. And the biggest banger of all bangers, Magomad Ankalev taking on Tiago Santos. What a fun freaking fight that'll be. And before we recap this past weekend's card, uh, Chris Cyborg with the first round knockout at Bellator 271. I didn't preview that because that's exactly what I expected. All right. So UFC fight night, Vegas 42, whatever you want to call it. A fight I didn't talk about, Courtney Casey getting the victory. I went 6-5 and five on my picks for this card, but a lot like the last week, most of the main card fights I got right, all but one. Did not win a parlay. The craziness, though, from Madison Square Garden had to have carried over as there was a lot of finishes and the headliner, Jesus, what a fight. That's all I can say. Um, in the prelims, Daun Jung with the first round knockout over Kennedy and Shukwu. Lots of finishes in this card. Like I said, they must have watched MSG and were ready to come out banging. Well, this fight didn't uh, last very long as Daun Jung caught Kennedy after landing only 16 shots to Kennedy's six. This, this is life in the light heavyweight division. You get caught, you go to sleep. Anyone could get caught. These are two promising young fighters, and at only 27, Jung has now won 14 in a row with the, besides the draw against Sam Alvey. He is 4-0-1 in the UFC, and what a major win this was. I did not pick him to win. Uh, Jung is right outside the top 15, so I'd love to see him take on a Jan Kutalaba or a Paul Craig. For Kennedy, his three-fight winning streak comes to an end and fights against maybe Khalil Roundtree or William Knight. Those would be bangers for sure. So let's make that happen. And another fight, Rafael Alves with the first round submission over Mark DeCasey. You know, this fight didn't last very long either as Alves was able to be as was able to get the aggressive DeCasey into a guillotine choke. Mark only got three strikes to Alves's six. This is the second loss in a row for DeCasey against very good competition. But he's going to need to get back in the win column, get that momentum back. I like a fight against Jim Miller or Jamie Malarkey. For Alves, he's now on a new winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. I like him against Nazrat Parist or Joe Selecki. Now the sniper man, uh, Sean Woodson with the first round knockout of Colin Anglin. Like I said, this MSG carried over. At least this fight almost lasted around. Right, I mean, the sniper was on full display. His crazy long reach, his monkey arms, his arms look longer than his body. It's crazy. Um, they were on full display, and he came in hot as Colin was moving backwards and never got comfortable. Statistically, Sean landed 59 total and 50 significant strikes with a knockdown compared to Colin's 8 total and significant strikes. Colin's now 0-2 in the UFC after his Dana White Contender Series victory. I could see fights against Bruno Souza or Chase Hooper, local Chase Hooper out here. Those make sense to me. For Sean, he's now 3-1 in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series victory. The last two have been very, very impressive. I would love to see him against Alex Caceres or Lando Venata as he's climbing up the ranks, man. 
another fight I didn't get right. I got those last two. Uh, I got the DeCasey fight wrong. I picked Sean Woodson, and I got this one wrong. Andrea Lee with the second round TKO over Cynthia Cavillo. You know, I really missed on this one. I expected Cavillo to come out hot, vicious, aggressive after that embarrassing loss to Jessica Andrade. That's why she took another fight pretty short notice. But that was not the case, man. KGB Lee looked to level up, and Cavillo could not handle her striking, and that front jab lead jab was piecing her up. Statistically, Cavillo had 47 total and significant strikes with a takedown compared to Andrea's 85 total and 84 significant. This is now three straight losses for Cavillo. I'm not sure where she goes from here at 34 years old, but a fight against maybe Manon Furio or Casey O'Neill makes sense. She moves down four spots to number nine. Lee has now won two in a row, fights against Leon Murphy. Leon Murphy, excuse me. Sorry, Lauren. Lauren Murphy or Jessica I makes sense as she moves up five spots to number seven. This fight, I didn't get right either. Joel Alvarez, what a show. First round knockout over Tiago Moises. You know, this was definitely a shocker for me. The long and lanky Joel Alvarez was on full display. Tell you what, you know, Moises is no slouch. He had a three-fight winning streak and, to me, looked pretty solid in, a, in the loss against Islam Makachev. Joel was the cleaner and more precise fighter and will be making moves in the UFC, but missed weight by two and a half pounds, so he's definitely got to figure that out. Uh, statistically, Joel had 44 total and significant strikes versus Tiago's 11 total and significant. Joel is now on a four-fight winning streak and is 4-1 in the UFC. I'd love to see him take on Armand Susarian or Drew Dober as he, take Tia- as he takes Tiago's 15th spot in the rankings, and Tiago obviously drops out. Now that he's dropped out, I would love to see Tiago take on Garam Kutalidzi or Grant Dawson. Those make sense to me. And then the... Yeah, I think this was the, the start of the main card. The young stud, I got this one right. Song Yedong, second round knockout over Julio Arce. We all know Song has some serious power, and that was on display during this fight. He was the aggressor. He was more confident. Statistically, he landed 30 total and 30 significant with a knockdown compared to Julio's 13 total and significant. Julio now starts a new losing streak and fights against Nathaniel Wood or Alejandro Perez makes sense. For Song, he's definitely regained momentum after his loss against Kyler Phillips with two victories this year and moves up to number 14. I would love to see him take on Frankie Edgar if he fights again or Marlon Moraes to move up the rankings, but we shall see. Didn't get this fight right either. Chaos Williams with the third round TKO over Miguel Beza. This was a fun fight and Beza definitely had his moments. But Chaos showcased his power early in the first round. Beza tried to bail out with a hill hook and leg lock. But while he was doing so, was just getting some nasty hammer fists on the ground. So in round two, he, he had some moments. But Chaos really was in control the whole way. Statistically, Miguel landed 32 total and 31 significant strikes. Did have five submission attempts. Versus Williams' 60 total and 49 significant strikes with that knockdown. And Chaos, man, he's really shown out lately. He's on a, his new two-fight winning streak. I could see him taking on Randy Brown or Tim Means. As for Beza, he's now on a two-fight losing streak. I could see him taking on Alex Morano or Nicholas Dalby. 
On the women's side of things, we had Felicia Spencer with a third-round TK over Leah Letson. I did get this right. I am a fan of Felicia. But why this was so up, up so high on the main card still just has me confused. Whose idea that was, I'm not sure. Uh, we had all this momentum, all this craziness, and he put this fight in that was a big snooze for a while. Uh, Felicia was pretty dominant most of the fight. You know, the rust on Leah was definitely apparent after her three-year layoff. This was a big win for Felicia as her two-fight losing streak comes to an end and she starts a new winning streak. Statistically, Felicia landed 227 total and 56 significant strikes with four takedowns and a reversal versus Leah's 69 total and 17 significant strikes with a takedown. Now, Felicia has fought everyone but Aspen Ladd. That's the fight that I would assume makes sense as there's not a lot of depth here. There's not even rankings for the class. And I don't have a clue what's next for, for Leah if she does fight in the UFC. So the co-main event, we had Marcos Rogerio de Lima with the first round TK over Ben Rothwell. Really, the story here was the Herb Dean finish. You know, it was kind of debatable. He wasn't really out. Probably okay to call it out. But other than that, there isn't much to talk about besides Marcos's freaking power, man. He caught Ben with the goods and he was really rocked. Not knocked out, but was really rocked. I'm sure if like if Herb didn't go in, a few follow-up shots would have cleaned Ben's clock. But Rothwell hasn't been finished since Cain Velasquez did in UFC 104 back in 2009. That's how much power this guy possesses. Statistically, Ben only landed two strikes compared to Marcos's 14. Ben starts a new losing streak, but I think it would be fun to see him take on Alir Latifi or Alexander Gustafsson in the new weight class. Meanwhile, Marcos is on a two-fight winning streak as he adds to his knockout total. I'd love to see him take on the vet, Andre Arlovsky. That'd be a banger. Or if not, Sergey Spivak. And then the main event, man. Once this fight got announced, I was so excited. Did Max need to take this fight? Absolutely not. Did fight fans want this fight to happen? Hell freaking yeah, we did. All I got to say is bravo to these fighters, man. Bravo. Madison Square Garden, that craziness carried over. I knew this fight would deliver, but after the chaos at MSG, I didn't know if it could live up to the expectations, and boy, did it deliver. Like Yair's coach said, he is a motherfucker, man. He's a tough motherfucker. I knew he was looking for the finish in this fight and wanted to be aggressive early because that's how I would see him winning. And uh, he did do that. With the amount of volume and the aggressiveness and just the, the amount of power in his strikes, I figured he would gas in the championship rounds. He definitely did, but not to the extent I thought. He was throwing straight power, and the power behind the kicks that he was throwing was savage. The amount of spinning attempts that he went, and he even caught Max with that spinning elbow late that sliced his eye open. It's just all the chaos that that is involved with fucking Yair Rodriguez. For him to come out with that much power and aggressiveness was oppressive, let alone do that for five rounds. I mean, he did tell off the last two rounds, but still crazy. I think this was a great learning experience and matchup fight for Yair. And I believe he agrees with that. I claim Max to be like next level super Saiyan after that uh, Calvin Cater fight. I think he gets to keep the super Saiyan label. I don't know if he leveled up to super, uh, super Saiyan two in this fight, but you have to give credit to his durability he always looks unfazed. This is why he's the champ and re can regain it entering in his prime, in my opinion. 
You know, he did show some new things with his wrestling and takedowns, which was fun. Did not expect that. I challenged him on the pod last week. Can he finish? Can he get that knockout? He couldn't put Yair away, which is one thing you can knock Max on is his lack of finishes. But statistically, Max had 251 total, 230 significant strikes with three takedowns and a submission attempt versus Yair's 186 total and 159 significant strikes with the takedown as well. For Max, I think the Volk trilogy makes the most sense. He's flirting with the idea of Connor. If Poirier loses to Oliveira, he can move up because he's beaten Oliveira. I like the trilogy, but either way, fight fans will be happy. For Yair, I think he's definitely going to need some time to recover. The foot uh, photo of his foot was just... That thing was ballooned up, purple as it can get. looked like multiple broken bones. He's going to need some time. But the thought of him versus Brian Ortega is hella dope. And I would guarantee would be must-see TV. So prayers to the MMA gods for that to happen. So up next again this weekend, we have another Saturday fight before a week layoff. The first week layoff in a long time due to the holidays. We have UFC Fight Night Vegas 43. This is a 12 p.m. Pacific main card start and 3 p.m. Pacific uh, start on ESPN+. Fights that I'm not going to talk about. Sam Hughes has a fight. Lupe Godinez and Terrence McKinney are fighting. But we're going to start it off with Adrian Yanez, the 27-year-old fighter with a 14-3 record versus Davey Dangerous Grant, 35 years old with a 13-5 record. Yanez is on a seven-fight winning streak and is 3-0 in the UFC after his Dana White Contender Series fight. I really like him. He's an orthodox fighter and a black belt in BJJ. Nine of his 14 wins are via knockout. Four straight, all in the UFC. Davey is coming off a loss to Marlon Cheeto Vera. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. And to me, this is all about the rise of Adrian Yanez. But Davey is a true vet that's going to be able to test him out. I'm taking Yanez. I'm putting him on my parlay. Let's get that bread. We have Joanne Jojo Calderwood, 34 years old with a 15 and 6 record and the number 5 next to her name, taking on Talia Santos, 28 years old with an 18 and 1 record and the number 10 next to her name. You know, Jojo's coming off the loss to Lauren Murphy. She hasn't had much of a streak. She usually wins and loses, wins and loses. She's pretty much fought everyone. She does have a 2.5 inch reach advantage. She has a background in Muay Thai. She was an Invicta fighter and Ultimate Fighter alum. Talia is on a three-fight winning streak and is 3-1 in the UFC since her Dana White Contender Series victory. Ten of her 18 wins are via knockout. She has a Muay Thai background and has a blue belt in BJJ. This is really a fight to get JoJo a new winning streak and Santos' opportunity to move up the rankings into the contenders. She looks good. She's young, 28 with that 18-1 record. I think she's more well-rounded. JoJo's going to be a true test, but I'm going to take Talia Santos. If I can avoid it on a parlay, I will, but if not, I will mark it down. For the co-main, what a fight we have here. Michael Maverick Chiesa, 33 years old, 18-5 and record in the number six next to his name, taking on Sean Brady, 28 years old, with an undefeated 14-0 record and the number 14 next to his name. It's going to be an interesting fight. Chiesa has a three and a half reach advantage. He does train with Team Alpha Male. 
He is a purple belt in BJJ and is an Ultimate Fighter alum. 11 of his 18 wins are via submission. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but was on a four-fight winning streak um, before that in this new class, which is welterweight. While Brady is undefeated and is on a four-fight winning streak in the UFC, he is a black belt in BJJ. And this is by far the toughest competition for Brady since being in the UFC. This fight gives Chiesa the opportunity to get right back into contention and Brady the opportunity to leap into the big dogs in the rankings. Well, at 33 years old in his prime, I'm going to take the Maverick Chiesa. I'm putting him on my parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. I think it's just going to be well-rounded. Going to stick to that wrestling. Find a way to get the submission like he always does. He is a motherfucker on top. And then the main event, we got the return of Misha Cupcake Tate, 35 years old with a 19-7 and record, and the number 8 next to her name, taking on Ketlin Phenomen... Phenomeno Vieta, 30 years old with 11 and 2 record and a number 7 next to her name. To me, this is all about Tate back in the octagon again, but Ketlin is no slouch. Misha trains, Misha trains out of extreme couture and is a purple belt in BJJ. You know, she previously fought in Strike Force where she was the champion and is known for being one of the reasons that women's MMA came to the UFC. She is on a one-fight winning streak since her return. Ketlin is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 and two in her last three. She does have a black belt in BJJ and judo. Vieta has been known for missing weight, but this is a huge fight for her if she wants to stay up in the rankings. But I'm going to go with Misha Tate. Mark it down. Put it on the parlay. Let's get that bread. So not as stacked of a card as we've been seeing, which you'd almost have to expect. But up next, after Thanksgiving, we have another Fight Night Apex card. Uh, this one has some big fights headlined by Jose Aldo and Rob Font. Banger alert. Banger alert. Banger alert. And that will be at the normal 7 p.m. Pacific main card start. Can't wait for that as the fight world has just been blowing minds. And I head to UFC 269 in a couple weeks. Oh, boy, am I ready. But let's talk some NBA. Let's head to the hardwood. Evan Mobley expected to miss a month with the elbow strain for the Cavs. He's been on a roll. Uh, LeBron could potentially return this weekend as the Lakers can meet, can get all, need all the help that they can get. Well, let's backtrack to last week before this week's pod. Uh, on Thursday, the Raptors beat the 76ers 115-109 as they go to 7-6. and six, The Sixers 8-5. Fred Van Fleet 32-6-7. And the young Tyrese Maxey, 33-4-5 and five in defeat. The Pacers beat the Jazz at home. The Jazz are in a skid. Malcolm Brogdon, 39-4. Donovan Mitchell, 26-5-4 in defeat. Jazz 8-4, man. Come on, now. Eh? The Clippers went at home against the Heat, 112-109. PG, 27-4-5. Bam Adebayo, 30 points, 11 rebounds, and is still in the defeat. Heading into this past weekend, the Hornets beat the Knicks 104-96. Uh, the Celtics beat the Bucks 122-113 in overtime. Uh, Dennis Schroeder 38-8-3. Bobby Portis leading the way for the Bucks 22-6-2. Um, the Suns beating the Grizzlies on the road. CP3 15-4-12. John Morant 26-12-6. He's hot start to the to the season. The Grizz are 6-6 six six, though. 
Uh, the Mavericks beat the Spurs on the road. Luka with 32, 12, and 15. The Nuggets beating the Hawks at home. Trey Young, 35 and 9. Nikola Jokic, 22 points, 19 rebounds, 10 assists. The Warriors smoked the Bulls at home to go to 11 and 1. What a torrid start to the season without Klay Thompson. The Bulls, 8 and 4. Zach Levine had 23 points, 6 rebounds. Steph Curry with 40 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. That boy cooking. And then the Timberwolves beat the Lakers at home by 24. Cat with 29 and 7. AD leading the way for the Lakers, 22 and 8. On Saturday, the Jazz lose another home game, which is rare to the Heat, the Jimmy Butler-less Heat. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich with 26 and 6. Duncan Robinson with 22, 4 and 4. The Pacers beat the Sixers at home. They go to 6 and 8 as the Pacer, or Sixers drop to 8 and 6. Uh, Sabonis with 18 and 12. Tobias Harris, 32 and 11 in defeat. Um, let's see. That's pretty much it on Saturday. On Sunday, the Lakers get back into the win column to go to eight and six. They beat the four and nine Spurs. Uh, AD with 34, 15 and six. DeJounte Murray with 22, 10 and 10. Nice little triple double in the loss. The Hawks beat the Bucks at home. Trey Young with 42, eight and 10. His quote this past week was things are boring when you're not in the playoffs. It's hard to get up. Well, he must have got a lot of repercussion after that because he's been hot, 42-8-10. Giannis, 26-5-6 in the loss. The Hornets slow down the Warriors to go to 8-7. Miles Bridges, 22-8 in the victory. Steph Curry, 24-6-10 in defeat. The Nuggets beat the Blazers at home, damn near by 30. Nikola Jokic with 28-9-9. Anthony Simons, 16-5-4. And then the Bulls beat the Clippers on the road as they go to 9-4. The Clips drop to 8-5. DeMar DeRozan, man, the haters going to hate. He puts up 35-7-5, PG 27-11. I look at the box scores after every day. The reason I go through these stats is how I think, who's performing, who's not, what are the percentages, who looks real, who doesn't. That's the way I think. That's why I'm talking to you about it this week. I don't have enough time in the show to go through, like, you know, segments. It's only me. I don't have co-hosts. So that's the way we're doing it. But when I see DeMar put up these points, I think of him as a, a still a two-point shooter, right? Those deep jumpers, elbow jumpers. He's been th- shooting the three ball better. He was only one for one on three here with 35 points, 12 of 16 from the field, 10 for 11 at the free throw. So went to the free throw line a lot, but he's really up to scoring so far this year. Heading into this week on Monday, the Mavericks beat the Nuggets at home. Porzingis stepping up 29 and 11. Nikola Jokic, the stupid lines, 35, 16, and 6. Um, the Raptor or the Blazers beat the Raptors at home, 118, 113. CJ with 29, 3, and 6. OG with 29, 6, and 2 in the defeat. The Bulls beat the Lakers at home. Again, DeMar DeRozan, 38, 3, and 6. Talon Horton Tucker, 28-6-2 in the defeat. DeMar DeRozan, 2-for-5 from three-point. He's getting that three-point shot locked in. Watch out, boy. Um, Heading into Tuesday. Today, we have the Warriors beating the Nets by 20. I almost put my free play on this from losing last week as the fucking Warriors just beasting, man. Uh, Steph Curry, 28-6-4, heading to the third. The reason I'm recording this now is you know you boys got to watch the TNT Jazz 76ers. Hopefully, my Utah Jazz get their shit together. 
Looking at the standings in the East, it's still Wizards, Bulls, Nets, Heat, Cavs, Knicks as the top six. Rounding up the top ten, Sixers, Hornets, Celtics, Raptors. The Bucks are right outside. I assume they'd get in. I don't expect the Wizards to stay on top. That shit's crazy. In the West, we have the Warriors, Suns, Mavs, Nuggets, Jazz, Clippers, Lakers, Grizz, Blazers, Kings. That's probably going to stand somewhat pat. Um, I don't know if the top dogs will still be the top dogs, but it's going to be interesting to see where the Lakers finish up. That West is going to be tight pretty much from 1 to 10. And we got college basketball, man. Um, last week, since the podcast, uh, Jawan Howard getting a five-year extension at Michigan. New rankings coming out. Looking at the rankings, the top 10 goes Zags, UCLA, Kansas, Michigan, Nova, Purdue, Duke, Texas, Baylor, and Illinois. Uh, Illinois still without Kofi Coburn uh, as he had some uh, suspension for some uh, payment issues. But I would say Texas at number eight is overrated. They've had a slow start to the season. Uh, Purdue at number six, overrated. And the St. Bonaventure Bonnies, overrated at 22. Uh, they've been struggling with close games against their competition. I wanted to assume that they're better than UConn and some other teams outside the top 25. Underrated. I do think Memphis at 11, Oregon at 12, and UConn at 23 are underrated. But time will tell. Time will tell. Got my little Nova jacket on. Took a, took a loss, but I'm not upset about it. It was a fun game. Uh, it was actually closer than the score said. Um, what's happened since last week? UCLA number two beats Villanova 86-77. to um, Really, the returning players made the difference for UCLA. Uh, Hawkins Jr. with 21 points, 13 rebounds. And Johnny Juzang with 25 points, 8 rebounds in the victory. For Villanova, they were led by Jalen Samuels, um, or excuse me, Jermaine Samuels, thinking Steelers here, 20 points, 5 rebounds as a super senior, Try to get the job done. It was a fun game. I enjoyed it. Tough loss for Nova, but we move on. Um, other than that, a lot of lopsided games, ugly games, small schools, big schools, early season in college basketball. You know how it goes. Moving into Saturday, big-time game, fifth-ranked Texas uh, traveling to Spokane to take on the number one Gonzaga team. Gonzaga looks good. They smoked Texas 86-74. to It wasn't as close as the scorer was. Drew Timmy, man, 37.7 rebounds. Welcome back to Gonzaga. What a showing there. Another, a bunch of other lopsided teams. Saturday, Sunday, nothing too crazy. See, St. Bonaventure beat Canisys. I don't even know who Canisys is by nine points. They're telling me they're a top 25 team. Canisys Golden Griffins. They're in the MAC. Where is Canisys College? Buffalo, New York, Canisys. Never even heard of them. Not even one Cinderella story. <laughs> um, heading into this week, nothing on Monday. Illinois got upset by Marquette. No Kofi Coburn. Daryl Morcel, 21 points, 5 rebounds. Today, nothing looking spicy. Seton Hall playing Michigan. Maybe a decent game. 
This is the first I'm seeing. Villanova game wasn't on TV. I didn't get to see it. That's why I did the pod. They smoked the Howard Bison. Brandon Slater, 23 points. Okay, 4 for 4 from 3. Samuels at 11. Efficient game. Justin Moore, 16. Not very efficient. Colin Gillespie, 21. Still trying to get his efficiency back from that injury. All right, I'll take that. Um... More lopsided games. BYU plays Oregon. That could potentially be good. That's tonight at 7 on ESPN. This week, what else do we got? It's probably a lot of misbalanced games. Boise State hosts St. Bonaventure, so we'll learn a lot more about them on Thursday. Boise State usually has a decent program. And into Saturday, we have Tennessee, number 17, ta taking on Villanova in the Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off tournament. That's going to be a fun one. The sixth-ranked Purdue squad taking on North Carolina in that same tournament. That's going to be a fun one. The winners will play. The losers will play. Um, so at least we got some, some ranked matchups here. Um... Nothing Saturday except the winners of that will play, or Sunday, excuse me. Seton Hall hosting Ohio State next Monday. Potential upset game. And then on Tuesday, the night of the pod, I probably won't be able to get to it, as ideally I'll record the pod before this. But the one-two teams, baby. Gonzaga traveling to California to take on UCLA. That is a big, big-time game. So we got a couple of big-ranked games coming up in college football. But let's wrap the show up with some baseball. I could feel the stove getting hot, baby. Uh, Jonathan India with the NL Rookie of the Year Award. Randy Rosarina with the AL Rookie of the Year Award. I picked that one. Eduardo Rodriguez, first off the board, goes to Detroit. Five years, $77 million. As an Angels fan, I was like, ah, I would have liked that. Well, we get Thor, Noah Syndergaard, one-year contract, $21 million, supposedly turned down better offers. I'm excited. Uh, Ex-Angels general manager Billy Epler expected to join the Mets as the GM. The Blue Jays extend Jose Barrios, Barrios seven years, $131 million, as expected as they gave up a lot to get him from Minnesota. Kevin Cash gets AL manager of the year for the second straight year for Tampa. And Gabe Kepler wins NL Manager of the Year for the Giants' performance. Stove moves are already happening. It's been very late in the season. Scott Boris and the agencies are just screwing everybody up, making them wait it out. Potentially, MLB is using the collective bargaining agreement and this potential lockout as motivation to get free agents to sign quickly. I'm all about it. If you're telling me the stove is going to be hot, it's a good free-for-all before December 1st, I'm all for it. Screw you, Scott Boris. Um, USA soccer, big time game this past Friday, beat Mexico two to zero. The old Dosi Cero chants are full effect. Pulisic comes back in, gets a header. USA, USA. I think this is one of the better performances as a unit as a whole. Um, and then this afternoon, they take a draw against Jamaica. I couldn't see it. I don't have Paramount plus, um, a draw is better than a loss, but still tough after that Mexico, um, game. And they won't have a game for a while. And lastly, the Red Sox ownership and talks to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
But that's it for 55. We're, we got a lot coming up. You know, we have college basketball getting into ranked teams. Obviously, the latter half of college football, second half of NFL. And I'm excited to keep talking to you guys weekly. Don't forget to check out fieldsupplements.com. If you're getting supplements, you're going to Walmart, you're going to GNC, go to fueledsupplements.com. You can save while doing so. It's good shit, high-quality local business, help support small business. That's what it's all about. People helping people. See y'all next week.